0: We think about um, the coming of Christ, the ad- Advent, the Incarnation, and we think about the Second Advent of Christ, coming, the Parousia, the Second Coming of Christ to judge the earth. We're going to find that there's a lot of parallels that are taking place in the preparation for the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. In Second Peter chapter three. Peter writing about the second coming of Christ says first of all you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say where is this coming he promised. Ever since our fathers died everything goes on as it it has since the beginning of creation. And he goes on and says they deliberately forget what God has done in the past. In a lot of ways, that was true also at the first coming of Christ. Um, People were looking and longing for the Messiah, the one that would come and set the world right, that would uh, free Israel from captivity once again and would establish an, an eternal kingdom of peace with Israel at the top of the nations. That was their understanding at the time. But that had been hundreds and hundreds of years. His promises had been there. And if you uh, take Genesis three fifteen as the beginning of the announcement for the, the coming one who would set all of creation right, then it had been that promise had been there since the beginning of creation. And so there were people um, in Israel before Christ was born who had given up. They said that's not going to happen. That's a a good idea and it's something that we wish that would happen, but all this time has gone by, it's never going to happen, certainly not in our lifetime. And so the love of many had grown cold and the hopes and expectations were at a low. At the same time, there were a few, there were those who maintained that hope and kept that as a a living hope, who were looking forward to expectations for that. In writing about the first coming of Christ in Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 Isaiah himself is speaking from personal experience and he says he himself and his children were signs and symbols that God had given to Israel at his time. That's about 750 B.C. And he talks about the spiritual darkness that was on on the hearts and lives of people. There was... uh, focus on consulting mediums and spiritists and people even looking to uh, necromancy, um, looking to try to communicate with those who are dead. So they had horoscopes in all the major magazines and newspapers, you know, kind of like today. And they had TV shows that promised to speak and communicate to those who are are dead and gone so that you could give guidance and direction to your life today, kind of like today. It was a very similar kind of thing that was going on in Isaiah's day. None of these things are new. And so he talked about people who are without hope and have lost the light of dawn. The light coming from God. The light being the first thing that God created. So he says, "...distressed and hungry, these people will roam through the land." When they are famished, they will become enraged. Looking upward will curse their king and their God. So people are cursing the president, cursing God. They will look toward the earth, see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust unto utter darkness. So as we pick up the newspapers uh, during the season of talking about peace and goodwill toward all men, We see terrorist attacks, we see innocent people being hurt, injured, Um, we see people being bombed, people being shot, people being robbed, people being defrauded. It's the same kind of world It hasn't changed. It was true in 750 BC when Isaiah was writing, it was true in the time when Jesus was born and it will be that way right up to the day that he comes back because we live in that kind of a world. The promise comes in Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness, people under that spiritual bondage and ignorance, um, those are when the light shines. And it's interesting, isn't it? You think about the might and the power of the Roman Empire um, and how much control over the world that they had. You think about People like Herod the Great, who's going to try to kill Jesus once he 's born, because this old man, who was very, very sick and about to die, saw this newborn infant as a threat, a newborn infant, a threat, and so he, he killed a bunch of them, kind of like today so you 've got these kinds of things going on, these people in darkness and As you go back right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 there was darkness over the face of the deep and God spoke and into that darkness he created light. Now the New Testament says that Jesus is the light of the world and he comes and he shines in that darkness and he shines in the darkness of our hearts and in our lives and those of us who have accepted Christ understand what he's talking about. The darkness clears away. And then we begin to see more clearly who God is. And when we understand who He is, the more we understand about Him, the better we understand who we are. And then we can accept ourselves for who we are as He created us. When that happens, and when we know our relationship with Him, we don't have to prove anything to anybody. We don't have to try to live up to anybody else's expectations. It's between us and God. And God has an expectation upon us to be living examples of his image and likeness in this present world. And then Christ in us becomes the light of the world present day. And that's the light that will shine as the darkness gets darker around us because we are people with hope, with purpose, with a direction in a world that has none of these things. So, help me out a little bit here. <clears throat> when it's dark, what do we normally do? Turn a light, light on? Okay. After it's dark for a long time, what do we usually do? Go to, go to bed. We go to sleep. That's what good moral people do. What else takes place in the darkness? <laughs> Lots of stuff, Uh, theft, robbery, brutality, abuse, um, things that go on that we don't want people to know about. So we do it under cover of darkness, lying to ourselves, tricking our minds, justifying ourselves and saying, nobody will know, nobody will see, nobody will find out. And so we do these things and the darkness becomes a little darker. Because the darkness then is not just something that's outside, it's something that's inside. Most of the time, in the hours of darkness, unless you have a a night shift, that's when people sleep. Why do people sleep? Why do people go to sleep? Because you're tired. Maybe you've worked hard, you're exhausted, mentally, physically, so you're tired. Why else do people sleep? Escape okay, sometimes people sleep to escape when I was um, very young and still in seminary, one of our one of my field work experiences was working in a minimum security prison in Lexington, Kentucky. This was a this is where these guys who had been in prison twenty thirty years or more, some of them were about to be um, brought back into society out of being in prison all that time. So the minimum security prison was kind of like a halfway step for them, trying to help them readjust to society that had changed so much over the last 30 years. Now you stop and think about your life, those of you who have lived this long. <laughs> Take 30 years out of the middle of your life and think about the changes, just the changes in society and culture around us, technology. Um, all the kinds of stuff that have changed the last, in 30 years. Well, these guys have been in prison, no clue. They don't know how to respond, how to react. There were two or three guys there when I was there. They were called easy timers because unless they had to be someplace for some meeting or to eat or something like that, immediately these guys would go back to the dorm and lay down and go to sleep. And they slept most of their day and all of the night it was a way of escape uh, you don't have to, to think you don't have to do anything you're just, you're just sleeping you don't have to think about where you are or why you're here so it was a means of escape why else do people sleep Re- re-energize. to re-energize because um, we've exhausted ourselves and we, we need to recharge other things Another one of my field work experiences was in a mental hospital. And it didn't take me long to realize that that was not my calling. <laughs> I have a great respect for the people whose calling it is, because that's a difficult place. But there were people there who were, who were depressed, and in their depression, they slept a lot, um, because they couldn't face waking life. It's also why people have addictions, because they can't face the way they are, or the way the rest of the world is. Sometimes people sleep, why? If you're on holiday, why do you sleep so much sometimes? Especially if it's, if it's raining out and you can't go out and do anything. Especially if you're a little kid. Bored, that's it, I'm bored. So you just go sleep. Sometimes it's because people are apathetic. Luke, I think he was very gracious, Uh, But Luke, talking about when the disciples slept in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus kept asking them to pray, he said that they they had fallen asleep through grief. Grief sometimes causes people to sleep a lot. Or a sense of denial, like we've mentioned. So these are some of the reasons why people sleep. One of the things that um, the scripture wants to, to speak to us about and it speaks very, very strongly about two passages in the, in the New Testament. There are others, but these are the two I want to read. Uh, the first one is in the book of Ephesians. Now remember Isaiah talked about these people that were in darkness. And he talked about upon them the light has shone. And the light that he was talking about was the birth of this child, this little baby. Uh, Against the might of the Roman Empire, against the hatred of Herod, against the, the insecurity and the scheming of the Sanhedrin that's going to take place later on, God sends an infant born in a stable. That's how he's going to defeat all the things that seem so powerful and awesome in this world. He sends a helpless newborn infant. And then God chooses through that infant to bring us into the kingdom and now through us we are going to be the light of the world. In Ephesians chapter 5 Paul is writing to the church and this is what he says. He's been talking about uh, clean, a clean lifestyle um, becoming holy people uh, and he said uh, well, let me back up to verse 4 he says there shouldn't be obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving if you take that one verse that destroys about 95% of TV just looking no immoral impure or greedy person such a man is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And even the heroes in the media these days are this kind of people. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Do not partake in what they're partaking of. Do not go along with them in the things that they're doing or saying. <clears throat> now, these are the verses I wanted to read. For you, us in the church, were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So, if we know Christ, then it ought to be reflected or shine through our lifestyle, our relationships, our activities, our attitudes, our vocabulary. You were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So again, the focus of our society, social networking and all of that, most of it is on me and mine. We're wanting to do what pleases me. Uh, all commercialism, all advertising is geared around that, isn't it? You deserve it. You've earned it. Go ahead. You're worth it. And you stop and you think, and you think well, yes, I am. Yes, I do. <laughs> and that's a lie. It's all just there to get your money. It's a manipulation of you to get your money. They don't care about you. They don't care about what their product will do to you, even if it's harmful to you. They don't care. What they do care about is your finances. They want to make your finances theirs, and then they will be happy. And again, it's this is selfish self-centeredness. So Paul writes to the church, and he says, With us, we ought to find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But now, it's public media. It's entertainment, isn't it? You can't even watch a commercial on television. Uh, Because of the suggestiveness and the innuendos that are there. Some of them subtle and most of them are not subtle at all. They're in your face up front. Uh, Things that used to be put in jail for. Now we broadcast and that's our entertainment. And we exalt our heroes, although they are participating in those kinds of lifestyles. Whether we're talking politics or sports or, or entertainment industry or anything else you can think of, those are the people that we are lifting up and saying, These are the, the ones, these are the beautiful people, these are the wealthy, these are the, the powerful, these are the, you know, these are the ones that all of us are, are supposed to try to be like. It's all lies. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And if we could see inside the hearts of those people, we'd be filled with darkness and empty. It is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And he's writing to the church, it's a wake-up call for us as Christian people. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We understand that part. It's all around us. We live in it. It's part of our everyday life. Therefore, do not be foolish. And oftentimes, most of the time in Scripture, Old and New Testament, there's different words for fool. Um, has nothing to do most of the time 99% of the time has nothing to do with intelligence he's not talking about intelligence when he's talking about fool he's talking about a fool is a person who doesn't know the difference between right and wrong and we are a nation of fools we are do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So out of respect and reverence for Christ, we submit to each other. Not because they deserve to be submitted to. Not because they've earned it. Not because we... It's because we have respect and reverence for Christ. Then he begins to talk about wives and husbands. Parents and children. Slaves and masters. But the general statement here is verse 21. Submit to each other. Whether in the home, in the family, in our businesses, in our daily relationships with other people. Submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. And he even goes on and he talks in here about even if they don't deserve it, even if they're harsh and rude to you, you submit to them anyway. Why? Because we're weak? No. Because we know who we are and we know who God is and we submit to him. That's the basis of it. It's not dependent upon what the other person does or is. It's dependent upon our walk with Christ. In the book of Romans, Paul makes it even more forceful in Romans 13. Romans 13 is the chapter that deals with submission to authorities. He's talking about politically. And remember, he's going to get executed by the political rulers of his day, as Peter is. And so he starts off in Romans 13, starting with verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except... The continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And he lists a bunch of the commandments here. And then he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the one rule that sums up all the commandments as far as people are concerned. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so... Again, what he's talking about is personal relationship. This is our witness in the world. This is our relationships with people. Do this, verse 11, understanding the present time. He's talking to us. He's writing to Christian people. Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature." because the desires of the sinful nature that's where all sin begins it begins inside the outward deed that's just the fulfillment of what we've already decided in our own minds and in our own hearts so it's not all negative there's A sense in which as you read through scripture, Old and New Testaments go through and and notice it when you're reading, as you're you're reading, how often God has spoken to people through dreams and visions, dreams and visions, dreams tell us a lot, Uh, anybody here dream, anybody dream, yeah, yeah. They tell us, those who are supposed to know, I don't know how they know these things, but they say everybody dreams. Some of us can't remember them very often, but everybody dreams. And what happens in our dreams is that all the the barriers, all the inhibitions in our waking conscious mind are gone. And so what we dream is what takes place deep within us. It's what we're thinking about or subconsciously what the desires of our heart really are. And sometimes that can be very good. And sometimes that can be very, very embarrassing, uh, threatening, intimidating. Because that's what's deep within us. We can fool ourselves when we're awake, when we sleep what's inside, that comes out in the dreams, sometimes and symbolically, and it did through scriptures as well. So, God oftentimes speaks to us in our dreams and visions because that's the only time He can get our attention. Because when we're awake we fill our minds and our ears and our eyes so much that they're, you know, God's trying to speak to us and we're too busy, too preoccupied, too wanting to know what I'm doing instead of what God's trying to say to me. And we're so cluttered and when we go to sleep oftentimes those things go away. Have you ever been wrestling with a problem or a decision that you have to make? and you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning and you've got a plan you have an idea you have a direction, you have a sense of purpose because while our conscious mind was asleep uh, our subconscious mind says the answer is really simple you knew it all the time you just didn't take time to really look deep within and this is what the solution is and you wake up in the morning and you're at peace and you know and you go do it most of the time those things work So those are the kinds of things that take place. There's a verse in Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. And this is the woman who's thinking about her lover, but this is what she says. I slept, but my heart was awake. That's the context in which God speaks. I slept, but my heart was awake. And, you know, we can pray... What's the last thing you think about before you fall asleep? Are you reading a book? Watching a movie? um, Doing something else? What are you thinking about when you go to sleep? We teach our children to pray before they go to sleep. I wonder how many of us as adults, other than praying with our children, when you or I go to sleep, what are we thinking about? Are we praying? Are we asking God to speak to us, to give us His peace if we're upset? His solace if we're grieving or, or lost? what are we asking God to do before we go to sleep and as you read through the scripture you find out that God speaks to the awake heart and though the body is asleep the heart's awake and God begins to speak Job talks about it very very clearly twice in Job chapter 4 and again in chapter 33 it happened to Abraham, Jacob, Samuel Daniel, Zechariah In the New Testament, when we're looking at uh, the birth of Christ, four times in the gospel, the first two chapters of Matthew, four times, God speaking to Joseph, the husband of Mary, in dreams, giving him direction and guidance. It's a godly man. He was open and obedient and willing to hear what God had to say for him. And the whole point of this, the reason God speaks to them in their dreams, is not just for information. When they awake, they awaken to awareness and obedience. In the Old Testament, the major word for the word hear is also the word obey. It's exactly the same word. To hear is to obey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That means you hear and you obey. Therefore, love the Lord your God, that's the obedience, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The obedience is there. And so the heart being awake in God speaking is to help us to, be, to awake to the awareness of what he's doing and the obedience that comes through knowing. So that's what he's calling. And that's what Paul is writing to the church at Rome, church at Ephesus, if you want to read some more. 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5. He's talking about waking up, as Christians waking up to the way things are and the time that is at hand because he says we are not like the children of darkness that that day should come as a thief he is coming as a thief and what he's saying is as Christians because we know him we are prepared and so whether he comes tonight or a thousand years from now makes no difference to us the idea is that we are prepared for his coming and when he comes we will be ready in closing, I want to read a bit of a prayer by a man named George MacLeod. I think he's passed away now. And speaking of these issues, this is what he said: "We sleep when we think that the world is as it always was. It is high time to awake to the truth that Jesus has come. His summons is urgent in our midst nearer than we know He is coming in judgment. He might come in judgment this Christmas. We confess that we sleep when we think that power is still of this world. It is high time to awake to the truth that His power alone is working permanently. All civilizations built of scorn of His power are as if they had never been. And our civilization with them will equally go down. Nearer than we know, he will be...